0: Thank you. Welcome back to the What's Your More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris. As we are dialed in for episode 136, well, we're going to talk a little bit about buy now, pay later, and then this revolving door of debt that's going on. You know, before we do, we had the Super Bowl on Sunday here, and I just saw where it was the most watched Super Bowl in the history, up 7% from last year's most watched Super Bowl. And uh, I often ask myself, is this the uh, Taylor Swift effect taking uh, place right in front of us in another aspect? We did the whole Swiftlation. Now we're kind of seeing a little bit with the NFL. And uh, it's definitely super interesting, the new audience that's Come to to the NFL and the abundance of people that are watching and tuning in to that, and uh, you know, often joke that uh, maybe Taylor will turn her attention to the mortgage market and start talking about how great mortgages are, and we can kind of elevate that as well. So, here's to hoping. Let's jump right into the buy now, pay later. So, um, you know, interesting. So, if you're not familiar with buy now, pay later. You probably see it anytime you make a transaction online, whether it's retail uh, or technology. There's always the hey, four installment payments, six installment payments, and uh, you can buy this, own it, and then pay over time. And uh, obviously, when you're doing that, some of the challenges that come with it is that you're actually taking away um, disposable income. You know, you're taking away the the consumer's ability, or the consumer's taking away their ability to have the residual income to buy other items. And so, what I wanted to do was talk a little bit about these numbers. It's not a new topic. We've been talking about uh, things like a firm and credit. Carmo and all those things on here for quite some time. But what we want to discuss today are some of the impactful numbers that are coming in, uh, in regards to this, and then kind of imply how that's leading to uh, potential debt issues, along with some of the revolving credit card data we just got from the New York Fed last Friday. So buy now, pay later it's been on the rise for some time. Uh, Affirm is the most popular one that you see on there. Um, But again, allows consumers to essentially buy something and then pay it off through usually four to six months of uh, monthly installments uh, to pay off that item. So for example, if you were buying an item that's, uh, you know, let's say $1,000 just for the purpose of this conversation, if you're paying off in four installments, that'd be $250 per month, and it would be paid off. So roughly 88 million uh, adults 88 million adults, that's the equivalent of like 34% of the population of adults are now using buy now, pay later. So 88 million people are now using this, uh, which is a staggering number. Uh, Essentially, that's 88 million people that don't have the money right now to buy something or buying it so they can pay later to get it. That's up 12% from 2022. Um, Those that are utilizing this right now, um, you know, can, they can obviously take the the, the four installments I'm talking about to pay it out. Um, but that 15% of the people that are using it are making larger payments to pay it off over a, a quicker payment of time. But that's also leaving 85% of the people that are fulfilling that obligation and taking it out over the time. And again, taking away their ability to have discretionary income in the market. And, you know, when we see these retail sale numbers come out and, you know, we get retail figures every month that talks about retail sales are up. Some of the challenges with those numbers is that it is is including this buy now pay later. And it's including deferring debt and making payments on it. Again, taking away future ability to buy things if you are tying up your income to pay off the debt that you currently have. And so during the Christmas season and the holiday season, this is no surprise that the retail number of sales were up, but a lot of it was driven by the buy now pay later and credit card spending as well. And so this is something that I think is interesting because just to kind of give you an example, and I I think this was illustrated so well, shout out to our friends at MBS Highway, Barry Habib, Dan Habib, always on the cutting edge of this information. Um, And right as we're structuring the podcast, classic, uh, classic Barry drops this on everyone. And I just want to give credit where credit is due here. But essentially, he said, Hey, listen, I want to break down the numbers for you and show exactly what this means. And so if you have 85% of the adults that are paying this 80, you know, paying the portion of this buy now pay later over time, um, I want to kind of show you what it does. So the difference in that versus a credit card debt, now we know credit card debt is we've done tremendous episodes on use a minimum payment, which is much different than an installment loan because an installment loan is gonna traditionally be a much larger payment and pay out over a period of time. In this particular case, what I wanna show is the income that is in in the spending of the consumer that's tied up during this time. So if you had an 1100, um, you know, eleven hundred uh, dollar debt, and the reason I use that number is that's the average amount of debt the consumers took on during the holiday season. An additional debt of eleven hundred dollars. So, if you use that, and you were to pay that off over the allotted time period uh, for um uh, this buy now pay later, you're gonna see that that turns into about hundred and five dollars a month, and at hundred and five dollars a month difference for that same amount on a credit card is $32. By no mean am I lobbying to put it on a credit card. It's not what I'm saying. I just want to show the difference in what is being tied up in the spending. So you got $105 on a buy now pay later versus 32 on a credit card. That is, that is discretionary income that is being tied up for future expenses that could be used to either pay down debt or to stimulate the economy in the form of spending. And so where I'm going with this is that this is going to catch up to the spending of the consumer. And we're gonna start seeing retail numbers at some point, probably in the next 60 days come in slightly lower than expected because of this right here. You add this into the next section I'm gonna talk about, which is from the New York Fed, and you'll see where I'm going with this. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. The team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family, and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. So the New York Fed gave their Q4 report for 2024. Now, I always love getting this data for them because there's some specific things in here that you just don't get from other reports. Number one is not only the credit card spending, but you can see the default rates and what's happening on the 30-day lates and the 90-day lates in credit card. And this is something where, you know, I've been forecasting that there is a consumer credit, um, you know, possible disaster brewing on this side. A lot of people want to come out and say, oh, mortgages is doom and gloom. And, you know, the housing market's got a bubble, or maybe even the stock market's an asset bubble. But What I want to say is you have a consumer credit bubble. That's the bubble that's going to burst, in my opinion, before anything else. It's not going to be housing. And we've talked about a million times on the show why it's not going to be housing. And it's not going to be the stock market before it's this market. I think this is the market that starts to hurt first before we see any other asset bubble. So let's talk about why. So in the fourth quarter alone, the United States housing, uh, household, basically debt schedule, and, you know, that includes everything from mortgages, credit cards, student loan debt, um, and then auto loans. This went up by $212 billion with a B in the fourth quarter. That went up. Now, this is one of the higher spending months because of the holiday season. However, that is up significantly from what it was in 2023. Another thing I wanna bring perspective on here is that credit cards, of that 212, credit cards made up 50 billion of it. So of that debt expenditure in 212 billion, 50 billion of that was credit card debt. To offer some additional perspective, auto loan debt was only 12 billion. So we're talking four times greater spent in credit cards than in automobile loans in debt in the fourth quarter mortgages led the way with 112. Now, Money Magazine published an article here last week that I thought was really good. It talks about how the average consumer's debt has actually gone down from 2020, basically from 2019 to 2023 in this post-COVID era. And that was interesting because they drew a lot of paradigms. Uh, Northwestern Mutual did a survey of about 2,700, specifically 2,740 individuals, and basically were able to survey the debt, correlate that out and get it down to an average number. And they're suggesting that the debt went from 2000, excuse me, in 2019 from 29,800 to 2023 to 21,800. Now, there's a couple of things in this article that that I don't think got mentioned in there quite uh, that is important that, you know, there is a greater population number now in 2023. And assumptively, if you're doing 18 years and older, of course, you're going to have uh, a lower number in overall debt because you have more population. But I would argue that the 18 year olds to maybe even 24 year olds, they're not contributing um, the bulk of the debt in there. I'm, I would suggest that 24 and greater is going to have that in there. So if, I would like to see the numbers if it was just 24 years moving forward. And then what does that look like? I'm willing to bet the debt load per average American is, is higher than anticipated uh, per this article, but I, I could be wrong. But to me, that's that logic might be a little flawed there uh, saying that it went down because later on in the article, they start going through some things that I think are important, and I'm we'll jump right to it. They basically said that when they surveyed that same group, that a third of the Americans say that they carry the highest level of debt that they've ever carried in their life. And significantly, even greater in that article, they talked about how that 49% of the people don't expect to pay off their debt ever in their lifetime. Not 49% of that third, just 49% of the entire survey said they don't expect to pay off their debt in their lifetime. Now that, that to me is interesting because that's what we're seeing in these numbers here. Um, and I thought they said 43% said they had the lowest debt they've ever had. Um, and that they expect to pay it off in the next five years. Um, so, you know, obviously there leaves a a, a difference there between the, one of the other people thinking the other, I guess you would say, um, what is that? 8%, the other 8% of people, what are they, what are they doing with their debt? Um, but you know, it does kind of speak to what we're talking about here. And I think that that's important because here's some things when you say Take a look at these um, numbers I'm about to share on credit card debt, it's not a surprise that 28% of all the debt amongst households right now is credit card debt, and it's growing significantly. 12 percent's is auto. The leading way is mortgages, as it should be. But then there was one on there for 7% is medical debt. Now, that one caught me off guard because medical debt, we did an entire episode talking about how you can eliminate that from your credit report. And we talked about why that is an issue. And then we actually had a health insurance provider on here uh, back in episode, I think it was 56, talking about what's flawed with the billing system and the medical collections and and medical providers themselves. Uh, I would reference both those episodes. But there's a way to eliminate the medical debt. I would love to reach out to the 7% of the people they surveyed here and say, hey, listen, if you go listen to episode 131 through 133, we actually show you how to get that off your credit report and settle for less than what you owe. And it actually improves your credit score. So I thought that that's a potential win there. Um, Maybe maybe we can find a way to get that out. But the thing that jumped off the thing, uh, jumped off the map to me, I've got a couple graphs here I'm going to reference. If you want to take a look at them, they'll be in our YouTube channel at what's your one more with the number one. That's at what's your one more with the number one. But we've got about three graphs in here. And so I ask myself, hey, have we ever had credit card debt that, that kind of is similar to this. And so immediately I take a jump back to 2000. I got started at really five, worked my way forward. And what I see in there is that we did have, you know, we did have peaks and valleys in there, right? We did have a time where if I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at Q1 all the way through of 07 to Q1 of 08. That's when we kind of had some of the highest credit card debt at that time in the nation. Now, moving forward, we have a greater debt now, and you could argue, Quentin, we have a higher population. I would agree with that. But one of the things in this, this graph from the New York Fed that you can't get anywhere else, and this comes from Equifax, and uh, is that they show you the limits, right? So when you're looking at this graph, and uh, Charlie's going to put this again on our YouTube channel, uh, it may even be behind me here as we're doing this on the screen, but what you'll see is this light blue line is how much credit is available. Now, this is mind-boggling to me because this has only gone up, up and up and up since 2020. That means that people have more limits to spend on their credit cards than ever before, like ever before. It's significant. Matter of fact, the credit depth is just shy of $5 trillion. So we have $1.13 trillion, again, highest debt on record of credit cards, but we have the ability to get to five trillion if we wanted to. And that's scary, extremely scary. And so the reason that's scary is I go back to those previous years I was talking about and what we started happening and seeing was that charge-offs started becoming significantly greater during that time period as well. Matter of fact, charge-offs rose over the following year from 08 to 09 to new heights during that time. And quite frankly, we are getting close to those numbers. So what happened during that time? Well, if you had a credit card or a home equity line during those years, I'm referencing in 07 and 08, maybe even 06, you know what I'm about to say. You woke up some days and you weren't even aware that your credit limit was completely evaporated and gone it had shrunk so significantly. And you're going, wait a minute, I haven't defaulted on anything. How, I have, I'm not even late. Why would that go away? And those were credit companies saying, hey, listen, we want to limit our risk and we want to absolutely reduce the amount of money that you could take out to put us in a further situation to where maybe you default on that. Because we've talked about it, if you default on credit card debt, there's no recourse. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that it's not like you can go get the food back um, that was spent on that credit card because we know Americans are living on their credit cards. It's not necessarily all lavish spending you can't go get the clothes they have on their backpack. So if you default on the credit card, yes, it'll negatively impact your credit, but there's no repossession tactic that takes place because there's no asset you can recover. So that's what makes the risk factor so great on these um, credit cards that you may not have seen maybe on a house or even an automobile right so one of the things that i'm looking at are the 30-day lates the delinquency status how are they trailing now the delinquencies were significantly greater during that 0809 period um, than they were um, maybe right now but we're getting relatively close on the 30-day late cycle to those numbers and what we're going to track here what i suggest and urge that we start to look at on here is that as those 30 days go up Maybe some of those 30s start to get in that 60 and 90 day range. When that happens, I wouldn't be surprised to start seeing credit card companies, major credit card companies, start to reduce their risk factor by limiting the amount of uh, expenditure on the card by reducing the credit line. I do think that's something that's on the horizon. I do think that's something that's coming down the pipeline. And I think that that's something that is going to be the the asset bubble, if you may, even though credit cards are an asset, but this will be one of the the, the sectors, if you may, that starts to have the first uh, gut punch to some of the things the Federal Reserve has done. Because today we had CPI come out. It didn't go down like everyone anticipated. It came up due to shelter cost, And um, the majority of that shelter cost was an owner's equivalent of rent. Remember, we talked about how, how old that is, but they call me, I'm a homeowner. Hey, Q, what are you gonna rent your home for? Uh, I give you a number, great. They chalk that up and put it in there. And then also... Uh, the the lodge away from home spending, meaning vacations, meaning are you staying at a hotel? Are you staying at Airbnbs? You know, you get the point. That was up significantly, which means people are spending money significantly. And a lot of that money is being spent during the holiday season. Makes sense. You travel, you want to stay at a hotel, you may not want to stay with family, stay at an Airbnb, or you went on vacation but that money's being put on credit cards, which is why we're seeing a significant jump. Not everybody's doing it, but there is a vast majority of the public doing it. So this is something we're going to continue to pay attention to. I think it's a leading indicator right now of how bad the economy is because the savings rate's down, credit card debt's at an all-time high. I continue to talk about that. And when we see the administration or we see anyone for that matter, come out and talk about a strong economy uh, built up on these job reports, which you know, really, we've talked about how poor those are with revision after revision after revision. I think this is the leading indicator that we can look at. And, you know, for those of you that are going, hey, listen, it's great. This report comes out quarterly. It's not really up to date. At any point in time, you can go to FRED, which is the Federal Reserve of St. Louis, which is the education portion of the Federal Reserve. You can go to FRED.gov. You can pull up, we'll put that link. Matter of fact, we'll put it in our YouTube channel you can pull up the credit card spending rate and they update it weekly so you can track this weekly just like we do the other leading indicators for the jobless claims report and the uh, the mortgage applications for purchases so this is something that is live and that you can track I suggest you know if you're in the if you're if you're in the financial uh, industry if you're a real estate agent uh, you know, if you're a mortgage lender this is one you're going to want to add to your board of things to watch because it is an indicator I think that leads to possible refinance booms it also leads to the ability to buy homes later on and the purchase power of that, uh, maybe even a deck consolidation through purchase. Daniel talked about that in our last lending update. It's a very popular tactic. There's a lot of things you can do with this data that I think is extremely significant and uh, definitely is going to lead the way for, the, for I think the next... Um, potential clash that the federal reserve is going to have to deal with. So till the next episode, I hope you guys are enjoying this one. If you do uh, please five star review this podcast, if you would, it's on any platform that you listen to, but specifically on Apple, if you can leave us uh, a comment, some sort of feedback, I greatly appreciate it. You know, we just, uh, we have people kind of come up to us all the time and go, Hey, I love what you guys are doing with the show. Uh, it really kind of gives me a jump start in my day. It, it, it arms me with things that I can talk to our c- customers or consumers about. Hey, we greatly appreciate hearing that it means the world to us. But if you could throw that on Apple podcast for us as well, or even in the YouTube comments it would be even better so people outside of our market can see and hear that as well guys thank you for tuning in we'll see you the next episode of what's your one more i got one more shot i'm gonna make it one more chance i'm gonna take it i meant it when i said it now it's time for me to do it i got one life to live so i put them all into it yeah